Panama. You know, I, was, I always thought that they were saying uh, had enough. I, I thought that for like, even when it was on the, on, the, on the, yeah. When I was on the super bad soundtrack, I thought it was had enough. That's what I was like, if I'd sing along to it. That's had what enough. Like. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> so, uh, welcome to like, this is our special, we're doing a, going to do a series of minisodes on horror movies that we'll be watching for October. I'm going to call it Rocktober. Of course, today we received the unfortunate news that Eddie Van Halen, uh, lead guitarist and uh, creative force behind the rock band Van Halen, passed away, which makes me feel real bad because I started off our last episode by saying Van Halen sucks. Yeah, and um, who knew that Eddie Van Halen was a, a uh, dedicated listener to the pod and was uh, probably trying to you know, come up with some clever riffs to uh, enhance our uh, theme music and then just you know, heard, heard what you said and just... Lost the will to live. Oh, that's terrible, Kit. Anyway, but it is, it's the Halloween season. It's the spooky season. It's the time I, every year, try to do a full October's worth of horror movies. And every year, don't quite get there. But uh, this year, I'm going to try and do it. It's the effort. And um, so we're just going to do, these mini-shows are just not, not going to be about one central movie. We're just going to talk about horror movies we've watched recently, especially during the Halloween season. Uh, so, so I'll start off. I kicked off October by watching the 2016 remake of the Herschel Gordon Lewis classic Blood Feast, uh, which I didn't know existed up until earlier this year that someone made a remake of Blood Feast in 2016. Uh, so, Phil, have you heard of this one? No, I haven't. Yeah. So it's very bizarre because it's a German-American co-production. A German director got the rights to remake it, but... I feel like he didn't get Blood Feast. Have you seen Blood Feast, Phil? No, I haven't. I missed uh, when it was on. I missed it when it was on Criterion. Ah, oh, bummer. So it's but Blood Feast is is cheesy and campy because it's about a a caterer in like Florida whose name is Fuad Ramses, who is Egyptian, quote unquote, who who worships the goddess Ishtar, even though she was Babylonian, not Egyptian, and he basically goes around town killing people and then serving them as part of his catering business and he gets hired to cater a, a wedding or something and he basically tries to kill the bride and feed it like he's like I'm preparing a very special feast an Egyptian feast a blood feast if you will very campy and in this one it's allegedly shot in Paris France although none of the characters in it speak French and it's set in an American diner and when I looked at filming locations it said Paris France but it's in an American Paris, Ontario maybe no, no, it was Paris, France, they said. But the, because um, like it's set in an American style diner just outs in an out, like a suburb of Paris. Yeah. Uh, there is some shots of the main character, uh, who, who, is, who is again named Fuad Ramses, walking around Paris, walk, specifically the Eiffel Tower, because he has a second job because his American diner in France is not doing so well. He has a second job as a security guard in an Egyptian museum which is where he learns of the goddess Ishtar and decides to start killing people and feeding them. But they, they don't really ever do the, the thing where he's like feeding his victims to the townsfolk. It's very weird. Sophie Monk uh, star, stars in it as well as his daughter. And so does Caroline Williams. Caroline Williams is, of course, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Um, and Sophie Monk, if you guys remember, she is an Australian actress who kind of had a moment in the mid-aughts. She played the Paris Hilton type character in the date movie, the uh, the parody of romantic comedies and Napoleon Dynamite for some reason. I definitely did not see date movie. No, but uh, but she she was in it and she 
had a had a brief moment of notoriety. I think she was in Maxim or something. And but the weird thing was, I checked out her not to not to be ageist, but I checked out her age. And at the time of the film's release, she was thirty seven years old, and she was portraying a university student because that's the whole reason why they moved to France was so that she could continue her studies, which is only said once and just dropped. Like it's very half assed kind of like sure student Graham. Yeah, I know, but. But would her mom and dad move their diner to the suburbs of Paris, France, to try and serve American-style food to French? Very weird. Very not. They good. care about their daughter. Then yeah. maybe yes. Yeah. So that was my first step. Uh, what have you guys seen horror-wise, Phil? Anything? Nothing horror-wise. Other than Demon Witch Child, which we'll be talking about in our yes. Other than Demon Witch Child, that's my first October horror movie or October. Didn't you say you watched Chud recently? I watched Chud recently, but I watched Chud in September. That's fine. I also saw Creep Show last month, which was fun. Nice. Uh, it was your first time seeing the original. Like first, yeah, the original Creep Show was a big blind spot for me. And uh, you used to just show up on City TV late nights, just randomly. Yeah. You'd have the TV on Friday nights, and it's oh, it's Creep Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, evil Leslie Nielsen in that. Uh, mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Back when he yeah, back when Leslie Nielsen still got the occasional straight role before he became just known as the guy from those spy movies. Well, no, uh, please. Naked Gun and Naked Gun. Spy Hard and that Fugitive parody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was that called? I can't remember. Oh, the Mel Brooks movie, Dracula Dead and Loving It? Yes, oh, yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That was uh, co written by. There was also Jane Austen's Mafia, I think it was. Oh, yeah. God damn it. I forgot about that one. (laughs) All those wonderful films from the 90s. Yeah, but uh, Creepshow is good. It's the the infamous. And it it recently got relaunched. There was a Creepshow 2 and a Creepshow 3. Creepshow 2 came out in the 80s. Creepshow 3 came out in the 2000s. And recently, Shudder has launched a Creepshow TV series, which is really fun. I really enjoyed Rob Schraub's Bad Wolf Down episode. There was also another great episode called House of the Head about a girl who finds a little zombie head in her um, her dollhouse and it causes all kinds of like haunting shenanigans to go on inside the dollhouse and then it kind of spreads to the rest of uh, the the rest of her house. It's it's really fun, really good. Um, but the original Creep Show, I I always loved the yeah the um, the one where Ted dancing gets buried up to his neck and then this yes. comes in. Really fun. Uh, of course, Stephen King's one is is fun too. Um, and then what are the other segments in it, Phil? There's the last the last most infamous one with uh, E.G. Marshall is uh, the cantankerous uh, capitalist scum uh, whose uh, penthouse gets devoured by cockroaches and oh, yeah. he himself gets devoured by cockroaches right and then there's also one about uh, uh fluffy is the is was the name they the tom savini gave to the creature but it was a creature in a box in the basement of a museum yes yeah, yeah. I remember that one cool. it's almost like a bigfoot like uh devouring creature in like this huge wooden box Hmm. yeah cool uh kid what have you seen horror wise lately uh, a couple, well, nothing for October, uh, unfortunately, but I did recently, very recently watch, uh, It Follows for the first time. 
Uh, and I, I liked it. It's fine. It's got a yeah. good um, the whole uh, you know it's pretty basic concept. You just followed by a thing that will not stop following you. I mean that's yeah. that's a good creepy concept and just enough to hang a movie on. Uh, the STD angle is a bit uh, on the nose and a bit too obvious, but also like so obvious it doesn't like it almost just disappears. The interesting thing is I came up with a theory while watching it is that because the the director, he was asked a bunch of times, like, so is this a metaphor for STDs? And he basically said, I'm not telling you. I, it I, obviously is. But the, the way I interpreted it was that it's basically the thing that constantly follows you around when you date someone, especially at a, at a young age. You basically also, it's their sexual history follows them around. And a lot of times when people who date people who have more experience than them, they tend to have this weird anxiety about their sexual histories, whether it be a guy who's more, a girl who's less experienced dating a guy who's more experienced or a guy who's less experienced dating a girl who's more experienced. And that you basically just have to realize this entire history is behind them. And you can either keep moving forward and not have it catch you, or you can stay where you are and let it consume you. And that could therefore ruin your relate your, your relationship. Cause spoiler alert at the end of the film, when the two uh, characters are walking away it's behind them. They know it's behind them, and they just kind of like okay with it. It's implied that it's still behind them. It's never quite clear because there's a, a few fake outs where they're like, "Here it comes!" Oh no, it's just a teenager. Um, so it is implied that it's still existing, but but who knows? Um, I mean, I just don't even think it needs to be that deep. I just think the uh, the concept is creepy. The climax isn't pulled off that great with uh, invisible things being flung around. It's a bit silly. Mm -hmm. Um, my thing is, I I know I don't think these teenagers had enough uh, capital or resources to do this. But um, man, if you were like an actor, like a Leonardo DiCaprio type um, at the height of the, uh, the what was it the pussy party or whatever he was uh, the king of. Mm -hmm. um, pussy posse. That's what it was. Uh, would just be to um, fly to Japan, stay there for four months, fly back to America. This thing's in the middle of the fucking Atlantic Ocean by now and now has to turn around and sort of walk back. <laughs> you can avoid this thing for the rest of your life just by crossing oceans every month or so. <laughs> Yeah. That would be the, the way to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's a very spooky movie with a very good score, although not something you can just the listen to. The score's good. I liked the cinematography was good. Mm -hmm. it, it kind of gave it, uh, again, elevated horror is a stupid thing to say, but um, just it, it had a good uh, artsy kind of a cinematography, which I, I thought worked well with uh, the film. Uh, just a um, indecipherable uh, time frame. Uh, who knows when this movie is set? Not in a real time frame, I suppose. Yeah because they have access to e-readers, but nobody uses the internet or has cell phones. So well, the whatever. thing is, the, uh, the production designer wanted it to be set in a time where, like, if somebody had a current... They didn't want to show any current cell phones or stuff, because then you could lock into exactly when it would be. So it was better to just sort of, like, make up a an electronic device so that people weren't exactly sure. But it also wouldn't... Like, you got what it was. It was an e-reader but you weren't like stuck in like, oh wait, so this is from 2015 or this is from whenever. So yeah. Um, yeah, I really like that film a lot. I also think it utilizes the Detroit setting very well. Um, somebody uh, yes, said, I, yeah, mm -hmm. it was, uh, I realized it was set in Detroit. Another uh, good mid um, teens, I don't know what we're calling the last decade, um, was uh, Don't Breathe, also set in Detroit. Uh, Detroit, uh, the setting of a lot of decent recent uh, horror films. Um, well, re-gentrification Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not so much anymore because they killed the tax credit. 
That's mm. why if you wonder why they're like all of a sudden a bunch of films started being set in Detroit, that's why. And then mm. the, uh, the tax credit got axed and that was the end of that. Cool. So I thought they all, were all like parts unknown fans. They were like going to Detroit for like the hip cheap eateries and uh Yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah. Nah, I don't know. It was it was more the tax credit thing. It's why so many TV shows shoot in Georgia. Because you're just like, hmm, what is it about you know, Atlanta, Georgia, that makes people want to film there. Well, the tax credit. Um, cool. And I'll end this off. The last, yes, Kit? I said just the peaches also, you know, delicious yeah. Georgia peaches. And, uh, you know, the anti-abortion rhetoric. Um, stay, so, come for the peaches. Stay for the stay, anti-abortion rhetoric. Stay for the reproductive rights removal. Um, cool. So the last film I'm going to talk about in our little Rocktober mini-sode is... Glenn Danzig's 2019 open. Oh, wow. <laughs> Erotica. Yes, I watched oh, it. Oh, yes. This is supposed to be his The Room, from what I heard. I uh, think Tommy Wiseau would be, like, freaked out by this movie. Um, <laughs> like, it's one of those things where, I, I, I full disclosure, I love Danzig. I love The Misfits. Uh, <laughs> Sam Hain, I wasn't a big fan of, but, like, Danzig's first three records are solid as solid can be. Um, I think he's an interesting character just listening to him talk about stuff. Even when discussing the, uh, the Misfits reunion from 2016 until last year, um, he was interviewed about it. It's like, so was it weird playing with uh, Jerry only again? And he's like, well, you know, um, we was never like, you know, we, we, we were always friends. We were just adversaries for a lot of it, legally speaking, but we were always friends. It's like, who says that? Like who can go through like, 30 years of lawsuits and be like, I never had any ill will. I just wanted to sue the hell out of them. Um, uh, but it is, there's so many moments. I didn't realize Kansas bowling is in the movie. Um, I don't want to rag on anyone specifically, but there's so much bad acting going on. It It's like a, a cavalcade of what? Um, the story is like, he, he's clearly inspired by Mario Bava. Like it's clearly kind of a riff on black Sabbath where like, it's a horror, horror anthology and you're going to see three different stories, but it's just been Danzigged up. And also the fact that Danzig clearly ca- cast this movie without a casting director. Cause I'm like, who are these actresses? A lot of them were porn stars. Um, and also D- Danzig wound up being the director of photography for half of it. Cause he fired the original cinematographer. Everything's overlit. Everything's overexposed. He doesn't use zooms correctly. At one point, someone bumps into the camera and it actively shakes in the scene. Nice. It is like, I recommend everybody watch it once. It was, I don't want to say it was hard to sit through, but it was definitely a challenge. Although I do have to say that the final, the final story in it, which was uh, kind of inspired by the Elizabeth Bathory uh, legends, uh, was, was probably the best of the bunch. It was set in medieval times. They had horses, they had exteriors. That's the other thing too. Most of the movie is shot inside on obvious sets. Uh, the first, my favorite thing though is in the second story, there's a police detective in, investigating a series of grisly murders. And you know, when, when you're a kid and you're trying to sound all grizzled and hard, you kind of, you kind of drop your voice down. Yeah. <laughs> this adult grown man actor did it. And at first I'm like, is he just putting on a voice? And at a certain point he yells and he can't yell with that, with that deep, dark voice going on. So you hear him in his real voice and you're like, dude, you're just putting on a fake voice. It is. Like Christian Bale and Batman. (laughs) 
almost. Yeah, but just dumb. Like it's like a dumb version of that. Uh, but I was already kind of dumb. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like it was when Kansas Bowling shows up and she can actually act. It's just sort of like, wow, like this is a, a diamond in the rough. Um, there are scenes that go on that were clearly shot to be like, oh, we're gonna like do a long take and then we'll edit it down into a montage. Nope, the whole take is in there. The camera like starts wide, zooms in, looks at something, moves, zooms out, goes back in again, goes out. Like it's it's phenomenal. Um, yeah, Veronica, uh, I mean, I love Danzig, like I was saying. Um, I really want to see his next movie, which was supposed to be a vampire spaghetti western, which unfortunately didn't get shot due to COVID. But uh, let's hope that COVID clears up soon so we can see the next Glenn Danzig opens. <laughs> let's hope COVID stops the next Glenn Danzig movie. Yeah. No, no, no. I want to say, I want COVID to stop so we can see the next Glenn Danzig movie. Ah. Not that COVID stops it, because that would be terrible. Have you listened to his Elvis covers album yet? Uh, parts of it, but he didn't cover any of the Elvis songs I really like. Like, I was oh. hoping he would do Suspicious Minds. It didn't happen. Hmm. There was no Heartbreak Hotel, no Hound Dog. He went for the deep cuts. Um, yeah. Anyways, so that's our, our first episode of um, Rocktober. We'll do Rocktober. Yeah. All right. So that was our first episode. We'll be back later on this week with uh, with an episode on Demon Witch Child. So for Death by Video, I've been Graham. I've been Phil. Oh, sorry. I stepped on your toes. You always go first, Phil, and I thought I'd, I'd just jump in there. Go ahead, Phil. I'm sorry. I, I, I've been Phil. I have been kid. <laughs> All right. Uh, rock on and keep watching horror movies. Bye. Bye.